about Mitch. They love Dirk Cooper. Big 12 open for business. Mitch Harper. Welcome on in. Cougar Tracks podcast powered by kslsports.com. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Been a busy camp, I gotta say. A lot to unpack from BYU football fall camp as the Cougars, they've got that in the rearview mirror. All attention now shifts to the Bearcats, an all-out cat fight on September 2nd between BYU and Sam Houston. Kickoff at 8.15 p.m. at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on FS1 and KSL News Radio. So on this edition of the show, going to unpack everything that I feel like I learned from this BYU football team during fall camp. Make sure to follow me on social media, at Mitch underscore Harper. Also, follow KSL Sports Twitter, or excuse me, X, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at KSL Sports, and download the KSL Sports app. Before I get into the fall camp breakdown, Big thanks to all of you for supporting the show, the new show, Cougar Nation, on Monday nights, 6 to 7 p.m. on KSL News Radio. It's a fan interactive show, taking phone calls, taking your text, tweets, comments, you know, you name it. It's your show, Cougar Nation, with some insider analysis as well. Every Monday during the football season, it's going to be a lot of fun in the debut episode. With my co-host Matt Biamonte was a resounding success. Got another show coming up this fall that we'll be announcing shortly that I think you'll enjoy coming up as well. So it's going to be a busy football season for me. It's a busy football season for, obviously, the BYU football team. 2023 is off and running as all attention shifts to Sam Houston with fall camp in the rearview mirror. And fall camp is interesting because... Gone to the days of watching every play, watching every snap in fall camp from the media. My era of covering this program as a media member has been in the paranoid coach era where limited access. It's not like the Lavelle days where you could just show up as a fan and watch camp and watch every snap every single day it's a new new era things kind of shifted when Gary Crowen took over as the BYU head coach I've never understood why college football is so paranoid compared to the NFL the NFL has way more people involved way more money at stake yet they leave everything open with that said though I think BYU is a little bit better than a lot of places. Like you look at Alabama, they don't open up anything. Utah up on the hill, they don't open up anything. They don't get to see anything. And then the coaches, when you ask them questions, they give you nothing. It's like you're breaking down some secret, you know, UFO aliens exist sort of thing. It's crazy. This new era of access and media and college football Hopefully things change in the future. Big 12 Conference seems to be the league of access and innovation under the direction of Brett Yormark. Maybe things get better going forward. But still, I can't complain too much because BYU is better in terms of access and some availability than other places. But there's still some mystery involved 
when it comes with this BYU football team. And that's why I bring all that up because although we got some sample sizes, we didn't get to ever see every snap in, in fall camp, obviously. And there's still much to be learned about this team. But I feel like I got a pretty good pulse of where this BYU football team is going into the 2023 season. So this is what I learned from this BYU football team during fall camp. Let's start off with the quarterback position. This season rides on the success of Keaton Slovis. That's not a groundbreaking take, but it was emphasized during camp. Keaton Slovis drives this offense. He drives the ship. Jake Redslaff going to be the number two. Cade Finnegan, number three, but depending on the red shirt situation, maybe it's a mop-up duty. You play Finnegan. If Slovis goes down with a significant injury, it's Jake Retzlaff. I think the fact that they want to maintain the red shirt, they being the coaching staff of Retzlaff, speaks to how they view him, that they feel maybe he could be a quarterback one of the future for BYU. Still to be determined, but Keaton Slovis drives the ship for BYU. And I must say that the messaging about him feeling like a BYU guy for years, it was evident in camp, and he just seems so comfortable. He's, he truly seems like a like a BYU guy. It's, it's fascinating how that's worked out, because when he committed to BYU, I thought it was going to be a square peg and a round hole sort of deal, having Slovis, but sometimes when you get into a situation where maybe the spotlight isn't as big. And look, being a BYU quarterback is a big deal, but the spotlight nationally isn't as big as, say, USC. And I just feel like Slovis feels really comfortable, he's confident, and he knows he's got a coaching staff that's got his back. They know this season, this offense rides on Keaton Slovis, and he doesn't have to look over his shoulder either. I think there was a case of that at Pitt last year, and then two years ago when he's dealing with injuries, he had Jackson Dart bearing down uh, behind him. So I think that Slovis knows he's the guy, and I think that naturally is going to help him a lot being more productive than he's been in, in quite some time during his college football career. Very impressed with what I saw from Slovis, but it's still a case of I want to see what it looks like in games but I feel like the early return on Keaton Slovis has been impressive. Backup quarterbacks, I got to say, there wasn't much that we pulled from in the media that just popped and stood out. Jake Retzlaff, I feel like he's more of a gamer quarterback. I don't think he shines at his best during a practice setting. You go back to the spring scrimmage in March, 7 of 10 passing the football, he can improvise. He can do something when it breaks down. I don't know if a structured practice setting is where Retzlaff thrives the most. I don't feel like the backup quarterback shined that much to me. Kate Finnegan was in and out of practices. He was a little bit nicked up in practices, and Aaron Roderick even went as far to say that Nick Billups was contending in that top three because of Finnegan's in and out appearances during practices. Ryder Burton, I thought, really looked good, and I think Ryder Burton... That is a guy that you think long-term, you want to make him QB1 potentially down the road. He's got a lot of juice to him, and but he has to be a redshirt this year because of the offense he ran at Springville. It was archaic. And look, Ryder Burton's learned this playbook. That's what Aaron Roderick has said. 
That was evident. I mean, there was moments against the scout team defense where Burton made some great plays, and his passes, it's very Zach Wilson-like. The way he carries himself, his youthful looks, he's a lot like a Zach Wilson, same upbringing, in-state kid, 3D QB. There's a lot there that's kind of Zach Wilson-like. But it's going to take some time, and you want to let Ryder actually turn 18 this week. It's going to be on August 26th. Still only 17 years old. Good experience, though, for him, this camp. But I will say, if BYU has to dig deep, and I mean deep, in that quarterback depth chart, Ryder Burton is something that someone that is very interesting to watch down the road. And I feel like if you're going to talk about the future power rankings of the quarterback position, I like the prospects of Ryder Burton. I come out of fall camp thinking Ryder Burton's got some sizzle to him that he could be a quarterback one. And look, I'm I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I've said in the past Zach Wilson had the goods as a freshman. Remember I tweeted out something that so much Baker Mayfield in Zach Wilson and Ute fans roasted me to the high heavens and, and said I was already anointing him the Heisman. Well, he ended up being a number two pick and, you know, kind of Baker Mayfield-like in college football. Uh, Jaron Hall, initially I thought Jacob Conover would be the guy because Jaron's injuries, but then after one spring practice in 2021, you're like, okay, Jaron Hall's the guy, and that was pretty evident. And, you know, Jaron also had flashes in 2019 during spring ball when he was the first-team quarterback. I, I digress. The thing is, is that there... You, you kind of you don't need to watch a large sample to know someone's got it or they don't. And I think sometimes too these players elevate themselves when there's more eyeballs on the outside watching them. And I like what Ryder Burton did in camp. I think also too with Aaron Roderick managing the backup quarterback spot. This is an era of maintaining the numbers, and I understand that Kate Finnegan's probably not a guy that wants to leave BYU. In fact, I don't think that's the case at all. Heck, he's in some LDS dating app commercial with Tanner Wall. Like, he's a BYU guy, and he's already done an undergrad transfer, but that is part of the game when it comes to managing your numbers because typically after fall camp, a quarterback or two will bolt when they don't win the job or they're not the number two. They don't have the clear path to potentially playing this fall. So some might leave and to get a head start on the portal and try to find their new spot. Again, I don't think that's the case here, but I think it plays a role in keeping everyone engaged in that quarterback unit to say, hey, there's a chance. This guy goes down there. There's that competition. So that's happening there for BYU. Running backs, as deep as it has been in nearly 30 years. I feel comfortable saying that. I know it's a bold take, but I go back to about 96 when you had Ronnie Jenkins, Brian McKenzie, Mark Ottawaya, Dustin Johnson, this is the best running back unit BYU's had since. I said coming into fall camp in my fall camp offensive preview, there was a chance LJ Martin would be the number two running back. Folks, I, I believe that day is here. I think that Aiden Robbins is going to be your starting running back, and that was expected. 6'3", 240 pounds. Robbins looks good. He's not. He doesn't have that top-end speed, but I love his physicality. It was day four of fall camp. He just burst through the hole and basically wrecked two guys. I mean, he is going to be a bowl to bring down, and that could be worrisome because then does he wear down easily 
over the course of the season, but you've got options to relieve him, and L.J. Martin is emerging. There was a play, and I think day four of camp, where, again, it's scout team offense, scout team defense. It kind of highlights where L.J. was to begin camp. And, and mind you, he didn't really compete all throughout day one. He had some freshman orientation to attend. So he was a little bit behind, but there was just this play. And it was a simple five-yard play. But the way that he patiently waited for the hole to develop, the patience that he had, typically when you watch camp, you see some freshmen kind of overdo it. They're rushing things. They feel pressed. They're trying to impress the coaches. And L.J. Martin did not play in spring. This was a guy that arrived in May, June. He's only been on campus a few months, but he just seems mature. And he has incredible feel, fluidity, the pace that he plays with. It's impressive. And I just think that L.J. Martin's got endless upside. There's a nice grouping of young freshmen that are showing you signs in this camp. You say, you build with that guy. L.J. Martin more so than Ryder Burton. Burton's still more developmental project-based. Martin's got potential to be big time. And, and you saw moments of that. He's already emerging as one of the best offensive players in the program per Aaron Roderick. And I believe it. I don't think it's just coach speak. That's one of the guys that's going to be a top dog in this program. Robbins is number one. I'd say LJ's two. And then you got Deion Smith. You got Hinkley, Falau, Ropati. You still got Miles Davis. And then you also got Luve Helud as well, who more of a scout team back this year. And that's a nice luxury for BYU to have at the running back position. Wide receivers, I think there could be some surprises this year. I'm expecting Keelan Marion, the UConn transfer, to be the top receiver this season. That might be a hot take. And but I just I love the deep threat ability that he has. You know, Cody Epps and and Keaton Slovis have an amazing relationship. Uh, They've formed a strong friendship, and Cody Epps is going to be a key factor. Uh, You know, Chase Roberts is right behind Marion, in my opinion, but I love uh, the explosive playmaking ability of Keelan Marion, and I like what Chase Roberts is doing, too. Some of the battles that he and Eddie Heckard had one-on-one were a lot of fun to watch for this BYU receiver unit. I think that there's solid play. There's solid playmakers at that wide receiver unit. I'm curious though to see who becomes the star. I think you need one star to emerge at that spot. And if I had to put a roulette chip in and say who is it going to be, I'd go with Kayla Marion, and then right after him, I'd go with Chase Roberts. Speaking of Cody Epps earlier, he was limping at times during media observation periods. Seemed to be nursing a little bit of hamstring. That's been a you know bothering issue for him during his BYU career. So something to monitor with Epps going into week one. You know, Kalani Sataki was asked if there was any other season-ending injuries besides Micah Harper. We'll touch on that with the safeties coming up a little bit later. Kalani said that there was no other season-ending injuries, but noted there were some guys banged up. And they want to make sure to get those guys ready for September 2nd. And if not, they, they might not be available. Curious to see if Cody Epps could fall under that. Because, again, some of the latter practices in camp, he was just off to the sideline, not competing in drills. And, you know, case of, you know, some of these guys, you know what you have and you want to get them to the fight. You want to get them to the game. 
Keanu Hill was, you know, a little bit nicked up, but as Vessi Satake told me, Keanu, good to go. He's going to be ready for September 2nd. It's precautionary. But also at the same time, I think it's fair to, you know, analyze that commentary because precautionary injuries have led to many a BYU players being out over the years. Remember, Jaron Hall was a precautionary deal after Stanford. He could have went back in. Dude's trotting around in a boat at the New Mexico Bowl, rolling around in a scooter. You're like, I knew that he was out. And we all knew that he was out, but precautionary. That was was a pretty nasty ankle injury there. (laughs) So something to monitor. Uh, But I think, again, BYU relatively good uh, in terms of the health at, at wide receiver. Tight end's interesting. Isaac Rex is your star, and it's good to see him fully healthy. Uh, you know, didn't haven't seen him yet take on a tackler, and that's something that'll be interesting to see how he responds after that first hit. You know, he navigated last year when no one really expected him to play, and then he still had a somewhat productive year. I think we forget that. Six touchdown grabs. He's got 21 touchdown grabs in his BYU career, but now he's good as new. And I believe Isaac Rex, when fully healthy, I believe is one of the best tight ends in college football. He's got Mackey Award potential because he's more of the dual threat. He can be that receiver, but he can also be a six blocker too. Rex can do it all. And I'm very excited to see what he can be in this offense this year being fully healthy. After him, it's kind of a hodgepodge of interesting personnel. It's not your traditional BYU tight ends. You know, think back to 2020 when it was Rex and Bushman before Bushman goes down with the injury in fall camp. That is, that's an Atula Mealy, Chad Lewis type tandem. This is not any of that. Your number two tight end right now, announced by Aaron Roderick earlier this week, Mata'ava Ta'ase, Tava as they called him, Southern Utah transfer comes in as a junior. He was a late addition over the summer as a walk-on. Comes in as the eighth tight end per Aaron Roderick. And now he's your number two. Now, don't suddenly think he's going to be, you know, the Atula Mealy to Chad Lewis. That's not the case here. He's more of a blocker, but capable in the pass-catching game. Had over 200 receiving yards at Southern Utah. A lot of parallels to the offense that he ran at SUU with Blair Peterson, who was a quarterback analyst for BYU when they had Jeff Grimes and a little bit of carryover with Aaron Roderick as the OC. So he has some familiarity with this offense quite a bit, in fact, and that's one of the big reasons he's emerged as the number two tight end. But I would not be... I feel like by the end of September... We're going to see Jackson Bowers emerge. The true freshman, he's going to play quite a bit. And you started to see signs of that towards the tail end of fall camp. I just think it it takes time. But this was a position, and I talked about it coming out of spring ball, that had no clear number two guy. It felt like the seat was there for Ethan Erickson to take take it by the horns, and it just didn't happen. And it left the door open, and now you got Ray Paulo, you got Mason Fakahua, you got Mata'ave Tase. I mean, it, it is a bunch of names that you're thinking, what? That's the BYU tight end room? Okay. Different. 
let's see how it works. H back with Fakahua, who's a pretty good athlete. He's, he's made some good catches in camp. But does that translate into a Big 12 game with a game on the line? I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I feel like tight end's still thin. Outside of Rex, I'm not banking on any spot there yet. I still like the upside of Jackson Bowers going forward. Offensive line, I've stayed consistent with this throughout. I feel like your starting five should be Kingsley. He's already locked in as a starter at left tackle. Left guard, I'd go either you know Pay or Miley. It's probably going to be Connor Pay. Center, Paul Miley. Right guard, I'd go Waylon Lapuaho from Utah State. And then right tackle, I would go with Caleb Etienne. You also have Ian Fitzgerald in there, who it's interesting with him. He was on the Senior Bowl watch list announced on Wednesday. Haven't seen much of him with ever with the first-team offensive line, at least, again, during media observation portions. Haven't seen him really at all with the first-team O-line in spring and in fall camp. So, kind of interesting there, and but he's got a lot of snaps experience at the FCS level under his belt. But I love BYU's O-line. I think they're they're deeper. They're more talented this year. They've got incredible size. Simu Moala could be a factor, too. I think he's in the two deep. They've got options. Braden Kime's still there. I've liked the progress, maybe, of what I've seen from Sam Daw as maybe a third cent- center after Miley and Pei. Some good options BYU has there. And I like where that offensive line is trending for BYU moving forward. Defensive line, I'm expecting some growth. Still kind of in a wait-and-see mode with this group, though. It's kind of a put-up time for defensive end Tyler Batty and Zay Banya. Both of those guys have something to prove this year. And I'm curious to see how they perform. You know, Kelly Papinga said on this podcast... They're going to be put in positions to make plays and tee off. That's what you want to see if you're a Cougar fan. You want to see the DNs get a chance to go make a play. And I'm very intrigued to see how this scheme highlights them because they were non-factors, the defensive ends, in the previous scheme. But overall, I think the personnel's better. The interior I really like. Jackson Cravens, Nice Amahe, John Nilsson. There's some really good options there for BYU, Caden Haas. That's a good top four. And you can keep those bodies fresh throughout the game. Defensive ends, I think there's some questions after the top two. But young potential talent, Ice Moa, Blake Mangelson, who Kelly Papinga told me maybe is the most physical DN that BYU has. How about that? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? To have a walk-on as maybe your most physical D-end? We'll see. He's second string, though. Linebackers, night and day difference from last spring. Last spring, you looked around and you went, okay, I like Ace Kafusi. He's solid. Micah Kafusi, got potential. Showing some signs. Zay Glasker, this, this guy's a baller. But is this a Big 12 starting linebacker unit? A lot of questions there. Didn't know how it was going to play out. But then you add in A.J. Vongfachon. You add in Harrison Taggart. Suddenly, this linebacker unit has just fallen into place nicely. And there are options that you expect from a BYU linebacker unit. I always go back to it, but when you think on the defensive side of the ball, the linebacker position 
is the heart and soul of BYU football. They should never have a season where they don't have a very good linebacking unit. I just think that is baseline expectation. BYU should always have good linebackers. When they don't, you go, how did that happen? How does how has the cupboard gotten this bare? And there was a little bit of that feeling in spring. And look, you understand that Ben Bywater was was nicked up with the the shoulder, and same with Max Tooley. Now they're back, healthy, ready to roll. It's just kind of fallen into place nicely. And you still have a Fisher Jackson, who I think's made some really nice inroads. And then you got the wild card, Chaz Ayu. Like, what does he do? How much does he provide this year? Does he get an opportunity? How many chances are there for for Chaz to actually, you know, earn playing time and and see snaps this season? I'm very curious there. I, I think BYU's got some really good options, and I haven't even mentioned Cialia Serra, true freshman. You might have the luxury to potentially redshirt him because I think your top two middle linebackers are Ben Bywater and Harrison Taggart. Sione Moa from Utah State's had some moments, had some hard hits on the sideline. I like this linebacking unit. I think BYU's had some significant upgrades in that spot. Cornerback, Jay Hill said the right things about the group and the media availability earlier this week. Really, you know, gave some high praise. Said that Eddie Hecker, Jacob Robinson are at the top. No questions there. Camden Garrett, Weber State transfers, probably that third guy. He likes Marcus McKenzie, Evan Johnson, Maury Bombas right there is maybe the fourth guy. I still feel like after the top two with Heckard and Robinson, there's some questions. I think there's a big drop, in my opinion. You know, Jay Hill knows more about football than me. I, I get that. But just kind of watching these practices and the second unit at quarterback had its struggles. Mori Bamba and Camden Garrett both had struggles. Like I think they're they've got the builds and the size to go man press, but these cornerbacks will be put on islands. Are you ready for that? And I don't think they're gonna have to rotate much. If you can stay healthy with Heckard and Robinson, good. You're set. Play those guys every snap. Good. Great. But if one of them goes down, how much does that change the defense? It's a big question, and I still feel like there's more questions than answers heading into the season at cornerback. The potential's there. And again, the depth of this team as a whole is much better, and the options that this roster has compared to previous Kalani Satake teams, it's night and day. This is a way more talented team. 100% more talented, but the history of injuries... Navigating a tougher schedule than ever before, it just raises questions about what to expect if something does go sideways. Because you saw a little bit of a glimpse of it at safety, and that's where we transition to next. You lose Micah Harper for the season to an ACL tear. Devastating. That is just a massive blow. That was one of those guys that you lose him. It's an irreplaceable loss. Because I look at that safety unit, and I don't see anyone else that can replace him. Talon Alfrey's probably going to get the nod. But that's not Micah Harper. That, that's not Micah Harper-level production. Talon, I think, has got the potential to be much better than he was last year. We have to remember, last season, he was coming off an Achilles injury. His first real action as a football player at the college level, 
and he's working his way back from an Achilles. I think he's going to be a lot better this season. A lot more comfort. I think Jay Hill is impressed with him. I mean, Talon Alfrey was pushing Malik Moore to be the free safety while Micah Harper was was competing in practice. So they're, they like Talon Alfrey. But the depth is has evaporated. It's gone. Because after Malik Moore and Talon Alfrey, it becomes Chika Ebenuha. And look, I've said good things about him. You ready, though? Are you ready to be that third guy? Preston Rex. Tanner Wall. Kerr Wakely. Raider DeMooney. Ty Burke, I like. I like Raider DeMooney, too, but I think it's taking a lot more time. I think in a perfect world, you redshirt Raider DeMooney this year. From what I've seen thus far at spring ball and fall camp. It's going to take time. Coming back from the mission is no joke. So we'll see. Special teams. Kickers trending up, but I'm going to hold and wait and see on this group. They're defined by the games. Jake Oldroyd was perfect in 2020 when there was no fans. In stadiums where there was fans, a little bit up and down. BYU just needs a kicker that can be consistent from 45 and in. If they can get that, whether that's Will Farron or Matthias Dunn, probably going to be Will Farron. But if Will Farron misses the first one, I think you go right to Dunn. There is no dancing around. There is no, hey, we're going to hug this out with a quarterback. No. You miss, next man up. And if you both miss, Jordan Capisi, you're in. No excuses. You have to deliver when called upon. And I think BYU is going to be aggressive. Kalani's, it's in his DNA to go for it on fourth down. They're not going to resort to the kicker, but it's nice in these games where the margins are thin to have a kicker you can rely on, and they got to identify that in the games. But it does feel like it has been improving, as you heard from Kelly Papinga on this podcast. Holders are good. Ryan Rico's going to be the holder. He's the punter. He's going to do outstanding. He's an NFL leg. And then long snappers are solid, too. That's what I learned about this BYU football team. They've got good options. It's just, now let's see it in the game. I also like, too, on the defensive side, hockey substitutions are gone. That was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen watching BYU football over the years was the mass 11-man substitutions. Never seen that in my life. Never. From anyone. And I did understand where that gave BYU an advantage, not to get nitpicky and, and nag on previous regimes, but that was just confusing. And I just didn't understand the, the, the rhyme and reason behind that. I like the approach of these starters, you're rolling pretty much every play. It's more of a traditional approach to personnel. You know, week in, week out, who the guys are going to be. Yeah, there might be some weeks where Caleb Christensen or Heckard goes into that nickel spot and they're starting, maybe first play. But you're going to pretty much know week after week who the starters are on this team. Look, in years past, you just go, well, these were the 11 that started last game, but they could throw a completely different 11 for the next game. You got Tyler Batty, a linebacker. It's like, what? You're going to master these positions. I think that was something I learned from BYU fall camp as well. I also learned, too, this offense, they do have good options. They've got good personnel. They've got good depth. But I'm not sold yet that they upgraded 
at every spot, like Aaron Roderick says. I think there's more numbers. But I think tight end, eh, wide receiver, we'll see. September 2nd, we'll start to learn. BYU and Sam Houston, the eye in the sky don't lie. All the secrecy, all the paranoia goes out the window once that ball goes in the air. And don't take Sam Houston lightly. I'm not expecting BYU to lose. I think BYU will win by three touchdowns in that game. But I think that BYU is going up against a Sam Houston team that's being viewed as this dead last Conference USA team. Their talent doesn't say dead last in Conference USA. I think they're going to be in the top four, maybe top three, potentially. Their defense is good. I'm curious to see what happens with their quarterback situation. But they got a good defense. And I wouldn't be surprised if after that first quarter we see up at the scoreboard, BYU 3 or maybe BYU 6 because they miss a PAT, Sam Houston (laughs) 0. You go, what is going on? Is this BYU-Portland State again? No, no, no. It'll, it'll start to heat up, but I could see Sam Houston hanging for a quarter and making things interesting than BYU rolls. But we'll break down all that next week. That's, that's for game week. But this was the fall camp unpacking what we learned from camp. I hope all of you learned some good nuggets from BYU football fall camp. Again, it's going to be a busy, busy football season with me. Monday nights, you're going to have Cougar Nation. You're going to have Saturdays, Cougar Sports Saturday from noon to 3. And there's going to be another show coming up that we will announce uh, maybe this weekend. We'll see. You're going to hear about it very soon, though. Definitely next week for game week. BYU football on KSL News Radio and KSL Sports. It is back, baby. Cougar football. Let's roll. Talk to you next time here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, and it's powered by kslsports.com.